0: The Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. Cranberry Radio proudly presents Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan, chief storyteller at Styled Retail, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now, please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Retan.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Purse Strings, I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings right here every Tuesday at three o'clock Eastern time. Each and every week you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Well, today we're continuing our six part series that looks back at Purse Strings over the last 10 years we've been on the air. That's right, a decade guys, can you believe it? This show is the longest-running marketing to women show still on the air today, and we're so incredibly grateful to have each and every one of you, our fans, still listening after all these years. And hopefully, we've got some new people listening, too, maybe for the very first time. So, yeah, you've missed 10 years' worth of content, but no problem. Over the six-part series, we're going to do our best to catch you up, at least fast-forward if we can, and then pick up on new con- content into our next decade, at least. So, this series should put perspective how far the world of marketing to women has come in the past decade, and it has come a long way, baby, that's for sure. In the same vein as Mandy and Jen, Selena Rizovani is trying to break that glass ceiling for female leaders. Selena is the co-president for Women's Roadmap and a recognized consultant, author, and speaker on women and leadership. Selena is also the author of Push Back, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want and also the book, The Next Generation of Women Leaders. Here's Selena talking about breaking the glass ceiling.
2: You know, why is it that it's so hard for an average woman to access a top woman leader? You know, it's not exactly easy to get on her calendar, find her, ask her to lunch, let alone get her advice, you know, for moving up. And that's really what motivated the first book. And that was a thrill. It was an amazing journey in you know, ask for participation and you will often receive more than what you ever dreamed of. That was really Mm -hmm. the case in terms of the wonderful group of 30 women I interviewed. And the first book, The Next Generation of Women Leaders, became kind of a leadership guide. Mm -hmm. And I, I cared a lot about negotiation at that time, but and I heard an earful, by the way. Mm-hmm, from I the bet women. you did. <laughs> I, I really did. I really did. It was, you know, I asked my way to the top. I requested, I proposed that I was the right person for the job. I heard a lot of that kind of talk.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it got me interested. You know, that that's what made me want to dedicate my second book to the art of women negotiating. And so I picked a new cohort of women. Uh, I would say there's some similarities with the first book, and there's a lot that's different. But I actually, you know, I felt like negotiating was such a kind of squishy, murky topic, that I actually asked them to quantify it. Mm -hmm. I asked them this question, assuming a woman's career success equals 100%, what part of that is made up by her, you know, prowess at negotiating? and self-advocating, how important is it, you know, to mm-hmm. really negotiate and self-advocate? And I was surprised by the answer when I averaged the 20 women, their their responses came to 60%. Wow. That you know, That's to say 60% of a woman's career success hinges on her ability to hold her own, make a request, back it up. And that was, wow, that won me over. That made me want to dedicate this book uh, just to the art of, of asking and doing it well.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I was just at a women's leadership conference um, just last Friday, and one of the women speaking said, you know, we we as women tend to say our work speaks for itself. You know, great work will get noticed, and, and that's the way we're going to get up the ladder. But it sounds like the 60% you were hearing is that's absolutely not the case that it's an imperative for us to be vocal and to call attention to our successes would you agree uh, yes
2: <laughs> you said it beautifully and it's it's absolutely true um, you know don't be the company's best kept secret that's often what I'm saying you know you're not doing anybody any favors you're not sharing your talents your contributions by shrinking, you know, in that way, and just hoping you'll be crowned with a tiara, you know, by some nice hero. Um, You have to be vocal. I I believe if you're going to negotiate, self-promotion is part and parcel of doing that, Mm -hmm. you know, and one mantra I have for women that's helped me, I think it can help a lot of women out there, is if it's true, it's not bragging. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if you brought in that revenue, if you created the efficiency that saved the company 2% last year, you know, if you brought in that book of business, whatever it may be, it's fact and you need to speak about it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't need to be this really loaded topic Mm -hmm. um, that's so hard to discuss. You know, the old saying is, is that, yeah, managers have short memories. So you have to remind them what you've done.
1: One of my favorite guests over the years has, been, has appeared on at least half a dozen of her string shows. Aliza Freud is the founder and CEO of She Speaks. In this guest spot, she shares the results of her She Speaks multi-generational women Study, our communication preferences, social media use, purchasing habits, and tech use. The research process. A lot of women were doing research before ever entering the store. We know that's been on the uptick. But talk a little bit about how many of those purchases are made online versus, say, offline.
4: Yeah, and and across the generations, that is um, that is different. And what we looked at was also ease. Or comfort level with making purchases on your phone versus making it on a desktop or someplace else. So, you know, looking at drilling into those purchase um, habits for for a minute, um, you know, one of the one of the things we found was that, again, in in looking at some of those similarities, is that women were, you know, sixty three percent of the women were generally no, no, and this is on average across the generations. They know which products they are going to purchase when they visit a store although they may not be certain about the brand they're gonna buy when they walk in they have a pretty good um, they have a pretty good set of ideas about what they're actually going to purchase when they walk in in addition um, another similarity and even stronger um, 70 74 of, uh, percent of the respondents across the generations said that price really trumps convenience across all generations so it didn't matter um, you know, millennials, um, really weren't uh, say, saying, uh, that they, you know, that it was more important for it to be convenient versus, um, be, be versus cost. They were, they were all pretty much millennials, uh, Gen Xers and Gen Ys were all kind of saying that the, 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 the most important thing to them was the cost and the price versus convenience. Um, and then specifically looking at a little bit more on the smartphone or thinking about using their phones for purchase, we actually found that um, 72% of millennials uh, will make purchases on their phone. This is versus um, 65% of Gen Xers and 38% of Boomers. So definitely some differences there in terms of as we were talking earlier the technology adoption and comfort with using technology to make purchase, but all of the generations are more likely to make purchases on their desktop or laptop, you know, most frequently, um, like this, we had 74% for millennials, 76% for Gen X and 81% for boomers. Um, And when compared with the frequency of purchases on mobile phones and iPads. So, so they're all across all three generations, you still have all three generations that are more likely to make purchases on their desktop or their laptop um, versus their mobile phone. Or their iPad, so definitely more comfort with um, with amongst millennials slash Gen Ys with um, mobile phone purchases. But I'm um, still all three generations are much more likely to do uh, purchasing on on their desktop or on their laptop. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that answers the, the answer the questions regarding mm-hmm. uh, purchase.
1: Oh no. As- Absolutely. And you know, the one thing that we always look for is what's the biggest influence when it comes to what she's going to purchase. And no, know that can fluctuate. But I'm wondering what you found in your survey.
4: In terms of what um, women um, were, you know, were, were citing um, in terms of, uh, of what was influencing, a pro- you know, influencing the purchase of a, de- uh, of a product, for um, for women of all ages, um, we found that 66% of them said that the retailer's website um, or like an amazon.com or walmart.com was really the primary influence in purchasing a product. So interestingly, that was consistent across the generation. However, uh, millennial and Gen X women are were more likely than Boomers um, to have been influenced by a coupon that they may have seen on a social network or on a blog review or or something on Pinterest, as an example, when they were making a purchase decision.
1: All very important for retailers to understand as they try to connect with women this holiday season, you know, what's going to get them either on their laptop or laptop, not their mobile, as we now know, more frequently, or get them actually to go in stores. So that's that's critical learning. So research comes in very handy, Aliza, this time of year. So thank you for taking the time to share it. Before we wrap up, though, I want you to, to say a few words about what she speaks us up to these days. You're always up to something really interesting. Do you have anything else to share?
4: Uh, sure. We, um, we, eh. uh, we definitely are looking for new ways to kind of tell, um, you know, engage with our, our influencers and, and um, create content and, you know, sort of tell a brand story or have our, you know, use our influencers to do that. One of the things that we're spending a lot more time and energy on these days is telling the brand story vid- via video. Um, which is a really great um, fun format. So, um, and interestingly, um, you know, we've actually started doing lots more work not only in the women's space with influencers, but, but also in the male space. We we recently um, worked on a um, influencer video with some great YouTube um, personalities, um, and they they're called Dude Perfect. They do amazing these really cool tricks. <laughs> Shots, um, and that video for Gillette, one of our clients, is um, a video that's gone viral. Um, it was filmed uh, with uh, with Dude Perfect at Gillette Stadium, where they're doing some awesome trick shots, and um, we've got some Gillette product integration um, throughout the video, and it's already racked over five million um, views. So, you know, really fun to see, uh, uh, you know, how how consumers are kind of taking. Um, content and taking, um, taking the formats to the next level. So we, we just try to be there to, um, to sort of catch some of that lightning, but it's really, um, about, you know, kind of looking and seeing where consumers are and, and, and how they like to, um, to consume content. And video is just one of those formats that lends itself so well to telling a brand story. So we really love, um, getting the opportunity to work on those and, and not just female focused brands, but also some male focused brands
1: stick around we're going to have more on millennials and how they've impacted us over the last 10 years as our throwback look at purse strings returns in a moment
0: purse strings we'll be right back after a word from our advertisers is your website hacked is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit fjordigital.com or call 612 877 3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E digital.com.
5: How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts, We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to...
4: Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress. Powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Add
1: some Cranberry Radio podcasts to your playlist as part of a better profit margin.
0: Cranberry Radio. It's... It's good for you! Really? Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan.
1: Another favorite of mine has been Stephen Riley. The reason is that he focuses on women of a certain age, those over age 50, who are often ignored by markets. This time on his appearance with Purse Strings, though, it was a slight twist on the topic. Stephen's the founder and CEO of VibrantNation.com, and he was on the show talking about millennials and their mom complex, their moms, of course, being the over 50s, and what will millennial adult children do do without their moms to tell them what to do and how to handle their issues. Sound familiar? Don't think that's changed over the last 10 years. Here's Stephen Riley. And a lot of it, really fascinating stuff, too. I know you do a lot of research there at Vibrant Nation. I'm very excited that you do research there because I use a lot of it for fodder for this program. And don't worry, I plug Vibrant Nation each and every time. But one of the surveys that really captured my attention was a recent one where you actually asked boomer women about how they support their adult children, especially when it comes to to money, I could not believe the results. Very, very surprising to me. Maybe not surprising to you. I was curious about your reaction.
5: Um, you know, we we thought we were going to see some of these trends just because we, you know, we we see the conversations and know these issues are, are, are going on. But we were we were surprised. I'll admit it. We were um, we were shocked by some of these numbers, and they really did suggest that there's a wake up call due for companies that are that are marketing to both boomer moms and their adult children and how they actually engage and reach these these, these people.
1: Yeah, it, it was pretty shocking. Talk a little bit, if you would, about some of the results that you uncovered.
5: Yeah, I mean, what we really see is I think we're painting a picture in what we're learning about a dramatically different set of parent-child relations um, as, as a result of both the recession and cultural changes in parenthood over the last couple decades. Um, the f- survey focused on two things, and the first was how much Boomer women are spending and what they're buying for their adult children and and kind of the, the 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 shocker here the most the most surprising one was that fifty nine percent of them reported that they're paying for their adult child's cell phone bill mm-hmm. um, and in fact um, the that percentage did not decline as the child reached age thirty. We didn't ask about we didn't think to ask about adult children over thirty, but it was almost the same whether the child was you know twenty and presumably still in college twenty five and maybe out on their own in their first job or looking for their first job. Or 30, and at a stage where an earlier generation of people were certainly living completely independently of their parents' pocketbooks.
1: Yeah, that particular stat was was really surprising to me. The um, the fact that she would actually pay for her child's her adult child's cell phone bill up to age thirty. Do you think that the boomer mom is happy to help and do this? I mean, do you feel like, and, and I don't know how deep your study results went. Do you do you feel that she's feels good about it, or maybe feels like that? Oh, I, I feel badly that my adult child needs me this much at this point in their
0: lives.
5: I, I think it's it's really complicated. I think, you know, moms want to be there for their kids, so I, I think there's not a big question about whether to do it, but then how to deal with it is complicated. And there is no road map, there are no role models. Eighty-four percent of the women who responded to this survey said that they are spending more on their adult children than their parents ever spent on them. So almost all of them are in uncharted territory. And one of the women, in, in response to our surveys, we asked them about, you know, their concerns about the children growing dependent on them, and and how to how to wean them from from these expenses. And one woman said, "I'm torn. Times are hard for young people. I want her, my daughter, to be independent, and she does too. She doesn't want to ask for help, but it's been hard for her to find work." Um, so I think that's where I think a lot of these women anticipated that when their children found a job, that they would they would. Take that big first step towards independence for their own expenses, and I think they're finding it's just not that simple. It's also complicated because these women are much closer to their adult children, I think, than their mothers were to them. But you know, it's not just the cell phone bills. We found that um, they are um, paying expenses all across the board. From um, so looking at my chart here, you know, over half are paying for insurance of one kind or another for their kids. Thirty-nine percent are paying for rent. Um, I call that the price of the empty nest. Um, if you, you if you want an empty nest, you may have to actually pay your adult child's rent so they can move <laughs> somewhere else. But they're paying for travel, clothing, car expenses. Over a third of them are paying for all of these things, um, even their computers. So I, I think they, they know they're in this um, complicated waters. Fifty um, percent or more are paying more than $5,000 in annual expenses for their adult children separate from any tuition um or education expenses Um, they know that that isn't really sustainable it's not going to be allowed them to fund their own retirement in later years and they know it's not a great way to to start their children's adult lives but i don't think they know an easy way out of it on the cell phones i think they feel that it's probably cheaper for them to keep the child on the cell plan than it is um, to make them buy their own but you know that these expenses are mounting to such a degree that these women they need support from each other because they don't have the answers. Um, you know, we get we hear a surprising number of people who find that even after their children get married, um, the husband and wife actually remain on their their own respective family cell plans. It's, wow. it's certainly my, you know mind blowing to me in my forties. You know, who never I didn't have a cell phone at that that age, and neither did most of these moms. And so figuring out how to how to how to chart these these uncharted territories is complicated. And, and the children who even when they get the job, when they get a job, it's often not providing enough income to fund all of their living expenses.
1: Holly Buchanan is an author and marketing consultant who shares her insights on how companies should better understand their target demographic when marketing their product and services. Well, she came on the show to talk about her book, The Soccer Mom Myth, which really focuses on, yep, the soccer mom. Remember when the soccer mom was a thing? Well, we do too. Here's Holly Buchanan. When businesses are trying to market the soccer mom, they're really going about it the wrong way. What What should they be in search of instead, Holly?
6: I would say, you know... One of the problems with stereotyping is it's a shortcut. You're trying to get to know your customers by, you know, once again, what are their most common uh, traits? And let's try to speak to everybody the same way. Well, women aren't a niche, they're actually the majority of the population. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and different women have very different needs, very different motivations, very different uh, communication styles. So you really have to dig deeper. Um, One of the things that we specialize at 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 Future Now that I specialize in is, is really doing the kind of customer research that gives you that deeper insight into who she really is and what really matters to her and not only how women are the same but how they're different.
1: Yeah, and they're incredibly different. I mean, I think that's one of the challenges that marketers face is that it's a lot easier to clump them together as opposed to trying to carve out these niches. But it's incredibly important because women have to see themselves, don't they, in the marketing messages and in the television ads. Otherwise, I get the sense that they're really not going to be motivated to buy, and I think now more than ever they have to be motivated to buy.
6: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, especially with the, the economic climate we're in now. Uh, you know, what, what does motivate women to buy? How do they choose one product versus another? Uh, you know, the whole idea of, of branding. Some people say uh, it, it's actually not as important, and other people say it's more important than ever. And I actually agree with it, that the latter. I think that the brand that women want to feel good about doing business with you uh, they really want to be able to trust you. Uh, you know, and, of course, it varies on depending on the product, but it's really important to actually build that relationship. And the first thing you do to starting a relationship is get to know each other. Um, you know, give her a chance to get to know you, but then you have to get to know her as well.
1: Exactly. How do you do that, Holly? I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but how do you suggest that, that marketers get to know the woman that they're really trying to get to buy their products and services?
6: Mm-hmm. Um, I have two, two suggestions for that. Uh, the first one is kind of a no-brainer, but have women involved in your marketing team. You'd really be amazed at how many uh, marketers and companies still... Um, there are very few women making the decisions about the marketing and the creative. Um, I still say have men on your team as well. Um, I think that it's good to have that diversity. But I would say, you know, get women and women of different generations, different diverse backgrounds, um, include them on your marketing team because I think that they... Um, have what they, what we call a, Michelle and I call a, a BS meter or cow patty meter because we all are on radio here.
3: <laughs> exactly.
6: Um, but so get people of uh, the women of diverse backgrounds involved in creating the campaign. The flip side of that is in getting to know the customer. The beautiful thing about the internet is there is so much information. You can go to blogs, discussion forums. If you do have a website, you can look and see what kind of comments are people. If you have a blog, what are they commenting on? Um, if you have live chat, what questions are they asking about your products? Uh, you know, the, the Internet is this treasure trove of information where you can hear from women and their actual words, which is really important.
1: Do you, um, you find that women actually process messages different than men?
6: I do. It's really interesting that they that some of the brain studies that are coming out now, it's hard to believe that it's 2008 and we're still just learning how the brain functions thanks to fMRI and some of the new technology out there. And what they're finding is that absolutely um, they've done studies where uh, women and men respond to the same message in different areas of their brain. Um, and a lot of times, you know, women actually have more connections between the right and left hemisphere. What that means is they're pulling in, they need a logical information, but they're tying it in with emotional information, and they're tying that in with past experience, and they're tying it in with, you know, women, this word about word of mouth, they're tying into, you know, experiences other women have had, so they're really, they're actually using more of their brain to process these messages. Uh, so, absolutely, they are taking in things differently than men.
1: Yeah, we're very complex creatures, we women, aren't we? Just <laughs> Very <laughs> complex. Wonderful, complex.
6: It's beautiful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and I would have to imagine, and I do this every day for a living, and I find it challenging, and I would have to to imagine that when you're trying to reach women, you want to create a message that gets her attention, compels her to action, but at the same time you don't want to alienate men who you hope are going to be buying your products and services as well. How do you do that? How do you do that balancing act of trying to get the women's attention but still keep men on board? I, would, I know it's a delicate dance. Oh, the trends. What would we do without them? Well, we'd be lost on our way to the future, that's for sure. Well, Nancy Robinson's the VP of Consumer Strategist of Culture, another one of my favorite go-to resources for what's the new, the now, the next. Well, she came on to discuss trend watching and defines for us who the twisted traditionalists are and how they will impact future generations. Plus, we get an education on Gen Y and Gen We, the next generation of powerful consumers.
3: With millennials, basically we're looking at uh, the group that are age 31 and younger in 2008. Now, because that's such a large generation, bigger than boomers actually, we also break out the younger end of them as Generation We, W-E, and that would be uh, birth to age 13 in 2008. Okay,
1: and then, uh, so, and would you say that that's a fairly General and accepted terminology I mean you think you think that most um, agencies and organizations that really monitor these are in agreement on that
3: pretty much there's a f- uh, for the most part there's you generally hear millennials either spoken of as, as millennials or as generation wise uh, generation y is mostly a, a primarily a marketing term but an uh, millennials is primarily a demogra- uh, dem- demographic term. So other than the words for the most part it's pretty much the same definitely understood uh in terms of the generation as being separate from gen x, separate from boomers, um but also in terms of their approach to a variety of things. So there might be uh, the overlap might be a two- or three-year overlap, so, so some groups might look at Millennials as starting a little bit younger um, or um, or going a little bit older, but we're iconoculture square in the middle.
1: Got it. Well, thank you for clearing that up, because now we can jump right into Twisted Traditionalist. I just love the
3: title, Twisted Traditionalist. Can you explain who this group is? Sure. Pretty much we're talking about uh, millennials and younger Gen Xers, and they're, uh, in, they're in, in process of putting together their family, thinking about things in, a, in almost an, not a nester way, but maybe an early nester way, um, where you've got millennials who are, are decorating their dorm rooms as though they were the first apartment uh and as well as in terms of thinking about family early indications are this is a group that's interested in having children younger and more often so uh we're looking at a, at the beginnings of a boom now when it comes to the tr- twisted traditionalist and another way of looking at them might be um to call them neo-conventionals um, it's a group that's looking to build their family life and their life around stability security but also still embracing achievement and status Uh, so essentially what they're looking at is, yes, they're interested in embracing the traditions that they grew up with, and as you mentioned earlier, millennials love their parents, so completely fine with that, those kinds of family traditions, but by adding a twist Uh, A postmodern inclusive twist, if you will, makes perfect sense, of course, because this is the mashup generation. So essentially what it comes down to is they're they're interested in doing um, what's right, um, and rules matter, but it's not rules as confining, it's rules as personalizing. Mm -hmm. So
1: when they look at rules, if you will, it's how does it apply to me, and if it doesn't apply to them, they're just going to cast it aside. Is that kind of the general idea?
3: It's not so much that they will get rid of the rule, they will make it work for them. Really what we're talking about here is, is a, kind of a, a look at the new propriety, almost as in um, this is the way we should be behaving with each other, and just because we're different, there's no reason to be rude.
1: Mm-hmm. So really, you know, they, they are looking to work well with others or play in the sandbox well with others. And is that because they feel like the world is really their oyster and it's really the world? It's not their town, their small community. They're really looking at the world as open to them.
3: Absolutely. And part of that is that that's, in a way, how they've been raised. If you look at the difference, say, between older exers and and millennials in terms of uh, um some of their childhood experiences for exers who really uh, come at i think generationally are a more defensive generation um it's no wonder right for them divorce was a disruption daycare was something that um Ha- that happened and that no one was particularly proud of latchkey children etc so they really have this idea of you know they have to do it for themselves um so their defensiveness really has um, some grounding for millennials however by that time society had really Kind of changed a bit and become a little bit more accepting about a number of these things. So daycare isn't something that is, is uh, people are ashamed of. Whether or not you need daycare, you just give it different names. You know, early childhood education, etc. But it's really looked at as something that um, is great for creativity, for socialization, for you know, basic um, basic early socialization skills that will get children ready for their their later on lives. Divorce, while it's still not a pleasant experience has become less of a um of a no-no and more of something that can be prepared for so it's not so much about the parents get divorced and the children are on their own it's more about looking at how divorce affects a family in uh, as a whole so even public schools will have Excuse me, divorce, um, divorce groups for kids who are, who are going through the same thing so that they can talk to each other about what's happening. So it's our approach towards a lot of these things have still managed to keep the children in the center. No surprise then when millennials grow up that they're interested in being in the center as well. Of course.
1: And at, while their world is as big as always, they want to be in the center of it. And the impact on this group, as we already talked about, has really been the family, but it's also their their peer group, isn't it?
3: Well, their peer group is part of their family. What's interesting is that when you looked at um, Xers, Xers would, uh, particularly in, in their 20s, Xers would always point out to friends as being more important than family. Now with millennials, you have friends and family basically being on a level playing field. So it's the kind of changing definitions of family in some sense, but it's also an, it's a family that's more inclusive. It really has more to do with about one, the feeling of connection and that connection being um, uh, uh, brought home, if you will, too, by your, your home family as well as your friend family.
1: Let's talk a little bit about gender roles because, um, you know, it, it seems that, Everyone's committed to family. You just talked about how they want to have children younger and more often, but it it appears to me that the man's role in the scenario has changed a little bit. Can you talk
3: about about that? Sure. That in fact, I think that role is is changing a lot. Um, Certainly from boomers to Xers, and now from Xers to millennials. And. tip of the hat here to ex to to X or dads. And they've really kind of started the ball rolling um, almost being more of a self-conscious dad if you will in that they are actively trying to change the role of dads. so you can call them gear daddies or you can call them denim dads but really it's it's uh, just underscores the fact that dads are increasingly more on board uh, much more hands-on and they're committed to being hands-on for them this isn't about just changing diapers but it's also about changing expectations changing the expectations of their own parents, for example, as well as their peers. Now, when you move down to the millennial dad, which are the millennials, of course, are just really entering the the mom and dad space.
1: Well, that's going to do it for us in this flashback on millennials uh, from Purse Strings over the decades. Please stick around and join me for another show that looks back at how Purse Strings has tracked the trends and the latest innovations over the past 10 years. And join me right here next week for that three o'clock Eastern time. Until then, make it a great one.